Welcome to the Rimfire Tactical Podcast. This is your host, Chris, from RimfireTactical.com, and I'm glad you're here. Welcome to episode 49, everybody. Hope you guys are having a great summer and things are going well. It's not getting too hot where you are. You're able to get out, put some rounds down rage, and have some fun. We got a fun one for you today, guys. Uh, before we get into the episode, though, just going to run through a couple of things. First and foremost, if you have not checked out the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group, I would highly encourage you to get on over there and check it out. The group is growing at a rate right now uh, like we've never seen before. We are adding literally hundreds of new members every single week. And the amount of quality conversation that's taking place over there, I, I couldn't be more proud. The conversations that are taking place range from people who are brand new shooters to seasoned shooters that have been around every uh, discipline out there and everything in between. So if you're not a member of the, the group, please head on over, check that out. I think you'll be very impressed by the folks who are there. And, you know, if you are a new shooter, it's a great way to learn about new things that are happening. It's a great way to get some advice and information from people who have already been there and done that, so to speak. And if you're a seasoned shooter, man, what a great place for you to be able to share your wisdom with other shooters, especially new shooters, and help them get started out. So remember, head on over to the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group. Check us out. <clears throat> Sorry about that, guys. A little COVID cough. Allergies are uh, kicking right now, if you know what I'm saying. Now, second topic on the agenda. Let's talk a little bit about something that's happening in the world right now. Something that is uh, near and dear to my heart for a couple of reasons. But if you've been out shopping anywhere over the last... Well, let's, let's call it 30 days. If you've been in stores, you may have seen signs up that say there is a national coin shortage. Some businesses are saying, if you do not pay us with exact change, we will not give you change. Others are saying, we are no longer accepting cash or coins, and you must pay by credit card. Well, if you're owning a business and you're trying to manage this coin shortage that uh, has been talked about so much, uh, much like COVID, I think there's probably a little bit of truth in it and probably a whole lot of propaganda. But I would highly encourage you to head on over to getaccuratepayments.com. You see, if you own a business, it's, it's a necessity that you take credit and debit card payments from your customers. Whether you're a retail store, a restaurant, or an e-commerce business, <clears throat> it's crucial to be able to take payments from your customers when they are ready to buy in the most efficient means possible. Well, right now, a lot of people aren't uh, paying with cash. They're not paying with coins because some businesses are saying you can't do that. Other people because of their concerns about COVID, they don't want to touch change. They don't want to give the cashier, um, you know, 
coins and, and dollar bills and, and then get something back out of fear that the change they get back may be contaminated. So the catchphrase that you hear so often talked about now is contactless payments. Well, contactless payments are nothing new. Contactless payments have been around really since the start of the chip card era in credit card processing. Well, our folks over at uh, getaccuratepayments.com, they have all the different options for contactless payments for people to be able to make purchases in your retail store, your restaurant, your professional office, as well as online. And those payments can be accepted without any contact whatsoever. Your employees don't have to touch the customer's cards. The customers don't have to hand their cards over to your employees. It's the best way to be able to thrive with your business, processing payments, getting your customers out the door and on their way. And also, <clears throat> getaccuratepayments.com, they're Second Amendment friendly. So if you're listening to this podcast, I can only assume you're already a fan of the Second Amendment. Now, you may not be someone who is in the gun industry. You may not have a gun shop or be a gunsmith or you may not sell products on a website that are gun related, whether it's things like optics and ammunition or pieces and parts. But if you're listening to this episode and you're a subscriber to this podcast, I can only assume you must be a fan of the Second Amendment. You must be a fan of firearms. So why not support a company that is Second Amendment friendly? I don't have to tell you. There are lots of companies, especially in the tech world, and if you're not familiar with how credit card processing works, credit card processing, it's a form of tech. And a lot of companies in the tech world are not only, uh, let's, let's say they're not Second Amendment friendly, they're very anti-gun. <clears throat> There's been documented cases of some of the software companies out there actually shutting down accounts and refunding purchases to the people who made a purchase. What that does to the business that they've shut down their, their credit card processing account, that means the business is out the product that they legitimately sold to someone and they're out the money that their customer paid. So remember, getaccuratepayments.com. They're Second Amendment friendly. They have contactless payments, and there's no pressure. Unlike most of the companies in the credit card processing industry, they have no contracts, no setup fees, no leasing of equipment. They're here to provide the best service they can for you and your business. So head on over to getaccuratepayments.com. All right, guys, let's move on to the show. First things first. You know, when I, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not sure what's going on with the COVID cough here today, but when I first started the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group nearly five years ago, I started it so we would have a group where people like myself, people who aren't, you know, we're not trying to be Rambo, we're not trying to be something that we're not, but we enjoy shooting certain types of guns. And we also enjoy shooting in different types or certain types of 
um, matches or formats, call it what you want. And a lot of those are more tactical in nature. Uh, not exactly the kind of format where we're shooting off of a bench, uh, but you know, we're able to get out, move around, um, basically create as much excitement while shooting as possible. Now, at that time, in the area where I live, there really wasn't any sort of uh, what you would call a formal match for this type of shooting. As a matter of fact, um, I've mentioned on several previous podcasts, where I live and the range that I belong to and shoot at the most, it's actually the home of uh, the gentleman who started and owns um, IR5050, which is, uh, for those of you who are familiar with it, IR5050, uh, or it's, uh, I believe it stands for International Rimfire uh, 5050, which is, they shoot rimfire targets from a bench at 50 yards and 50 meters. Now, if I'm wrong on what that IR stands for, my apologies. Like I said, um, <laughs> they shoot it at every club in my area. I've been to a few matches. I've ever, not, <clears throat> excuse me, never actually shot an official uh, bench rest match. And a lot of that's because for years I didn't have a rifle and I didn't have a rest um, or any of those things. And then a lot of friends got into it. <clears throat> and so I decided to buy a rifle and I went ahead and bought the rest. Did all that stuff, and frankly, just I figured out when I took the rifle out and I started trying to do lot testing and a lot of other things, I figured out I just didn't really enjoy it. Uh, Certainly not something where I thought it was easy or anything like that. Quite the contrary. Uh, The people who shoot uh, rimfire bench rest are some of, I, I would, I almost hesitate to say this, but I'll say it anyway. They're some of the more uh, disciplined or um, dedicated rimfire shooters that I've ever met. And the reason that I say that is because those guys go out and just like a lot of us in other disciplines, you know, there's a significant uh, investment they make into the rifles that they shoot. The optics... There's a bit of a range there, but uh, for the most part, uh, until recently, when some of the bench rest leagues um, started to offer some additional classes that are more, um, well, they're more focused on or giving you an option of shooting like a factory class. Until that happened, all the rimfire rifles that I've ever seen shot in a rimfire match, a rimfire bench rest match, they were all custom guns. Now, some of those were using custom actions and, of course, you know, barrels, stocks, triggers, things like that. Others were maybe modified. Um, the Remington 40X is the rifle that comes to mind the most, but a lot of people also take a, a Seiko Finfire or um, maybe a Soul 150. Uh, so there's, there's different factory actions that would 
someone would build a rifle off of, but you really didn't see, or at least in my experience, I haven't seen very many people shooting bench rest with a factory rifle. And, <clears throat> sorry about that, a little COVID coffee to go with COVID cough. Um, from my experience, um, it just seemed like you should, uh, you know, you had to, to spend a significant amount of, of money either buying a new or having a new rifle built or even buying a used rifle, which is a great way from what I understand uh, to get started in bench rest and frankly, in a lot of other disciplines. <clears throat> but like I said, I, I mentioned all this just because after I bought uh, my bench rifle and it was built by Gordon Eck, who is a very, very well-known rimfire bench rest uh, builder, the rifle was incredibly accurate. Um, I started off with a Weaver T36 on it. I moved from the Weaver T36 to a Night Force bench rest model 12 by 42 and ultimately uh, upgraded the, the scope again to a Night Force 15 to 55 competition model. All across the way, uh, great optics, great rifle, very accurate, but it wasn't the rifle and it wasn't the, the scope that were, you know, I felt holding me back. It was all the lot testing, trying to find the right lot of ammo to shoot that rifle and be competitive. Now, a lot of the ammunition I shot through that rifle shot great. But what became very apparent in looking at what other shooters, you know, what, what kind of scores other shooters were, were you know, having in the bench rest matches, <clears throat> excuse me, is it became really obvious that I didn't have a rifle, scope, and ammo combo that was capable of winning. Now, before I go even further, let me just say, the rifle, the scope, and maybe even the ammo could have won, but the guy pulling the trigger, I wasn't getting the job done. So I'll say it that way so that we're not blaming the rifle, not blaming the, the scope or the ammunition. But about that time, um, I started to get even more focused in uh, rimfire shooting and specifically with some, some matches that these weren't official matches. These were just you know me and a couple of buddies getting together and shooting some different disciplines and I was seeing people talk about doing these practical matches, I believe is what they were referred to at the time. And and occasionally they were called a tactical match, but people were shooting them with the twenty two. And I thought, man, that sounds so cool. You know, I would love to do something like that. And and that's how Rimfire Tactical uh came to be um in its current format as not only the Facebook group, but also the Rimfire Tactical Dot com website that uh, you know we're continuing to work on. Um, if you go there, by all means, sign up for the newsletter. Uh, we'll try to keep you informed. You'll get uh, notified about new blog posts as they come out. Eventually, we're going to have, um, we'll start publishing some videos on the YouTube channel, and we'll have links to the Facebook group, Instagram, because uh, you can find us over on Instagram, Rimfire Tactical. <laughs> will be the, uh, there's a couple of Rimfire Tacticals I've learned on Facebook, but ours is the one that has a, a variety of rifles from Voodoo Gunworks, CZ, Lithgow, 
on shoots and, and quite a few others. Uh, it seems there's another Rimfire Tactical on uh, Instagram, but that one, that page, um, <clears throat> everything they share seems to be all related directly to um, on shoots rifles. And I don't think they've posted anything in quite some time. But anyway, going back to where this, this story was going, you know, we've, um, I, I really was starting to enjoy a lot of that shooting. And about that time, the NRL 22 uh, leak took off. And, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. Well, thankfully, in my area, we've started to see some additional matches popping up. Now, occasionally, there's an NRL 22 match, but it's not something that's consistent, unfortunately. Um, I, I've talked to a number of people about trying to head something up like that. But um, uh, the folks that are uh, have ran that match, uh, I think they've had maybe two or three matches this year. Uh, weather has been an issue at times. And then I think just some uh, scheduling conflicts have present, prevented it from happening at other times. And, you know, I certainly understand that. I mean, I'll be the first one to tell you as badly as I'd love to have not just one, but two or three different options for NRL 22 that, you know, were within an hour drive. Unfortunately, in my area, that just doesn't exist right now. And um, frankly, with the different businesses that we own and the different things that we do, I, I'm like a lot of the other folks, just can't find the time to sit down and <clears throat> put together a match and, you know, basically put the time in that it requires to do something like that, which on a side note, if you happen to have the luxury of having a lot of matches that are close to you, go out and support them. But when you're there, thank the match director, thank them for running the match, offer to help them with setup, offer to help them with teardown, thank them for the time and the commitment they put in. Um, I know I shot in a match not long ago and I heard some folks commenting about, they were really just complaining about the, the match director and they didn't think he was doing things fast enough and they were just complaining about everything. And I, I, I happened to be shooting at the time that I was hearing this. Uh, and when I say shooting, I was on the line. So it wasn't something where um, we weren't shooting at that particular second because targets were being re reset and things. But I commented to him, I said, well, guys, listen, you, you're already done shooting for the day. Um, you know, why don't you guys go out there and help them set up targets in between the stages and we could all get out of here quicker. And you would have thought I had just told them their kids were ugly, their you know mom can't cook, and you know I mean it was just it was hilarious because they all seemed so offended that anyone would suggest that that they should go and help out, you know, because that's something that the um, I guess they felt like that's something that you know whoever's running the match should do. So I tell you all that to explain that last year, about this time, I had heard some talk that there was going to be a local steel challenge match. <clears throat> now, a steel challenge is one of those things that I don't know anything at all about, other than you shoot really fast and you shoot some plates, or you're supposed to shoot fast, and you, you fire one shot per plate, and there's this thing called a stop plate. I really didn't know much else about it uh, other than I follow a few groups on Facebook and I've seen some videos here and there and it sounds really fun and um, it kind of reminded me almost a little bit like IDPA or USPSA 
without the movement. And ultimately, what I thought of when I first heard about it was, hey, let's see what kind of guns are you know people use for that. I, I'm sure I've got something that I could shoot. And obviously, because speed is a factor, you can shoot it with a handgun or a rifle, and you can shoot, um, well, I mean, frankly, I guess you could shoot any discipline or any, I'm sorry, not discipline, but a, uh, action. I guess you could try it with a maybe a uh, bolt action, but I don't think that would, would go very well. And you could try it with a semi-auto and do very, very well. But I've also seen some videos where people shoot them with pumps, um, lever actions as well. But in my case, um, oh, and, and on the handgun side, um, a lot of people seem to shoot them with revolvers, but semi-autos are very popular there as well. So I got it in my mind, you know, I've got several different guns, but as I watched a lot of these videos, <clears throat> it seemed like a lot of people uh, were building rifles specifically for Rimfire Challenge and Steel Challenge uh, off the 1022 format. And so I thought, no problem. I've got rifles. I've got kids. I've, I mean, I've got, you know, I've got some of the best that, in my opinion, I'm good. And then I figured out that unlike in the, the normal shooting that I would do, which is prone or maybe off of a bench, but, you know, the type of shooting in a match where my, uh, my rifles are heavy. I mean, I think my kid uh, rifle, if I'm not mistaken, I think it weighs about 16 pounds uh, between the, the Victor Company stock and the scope and everything else. And, and what I figured out is, and still challenged, these guys are going for ultimate lightweight rifles. They're they're looking to get, I mean, like they're trying to figure out ways to get the rifle complete with either irons or an optic. They're trying to get that thing down to four pounds or under, which is absolutely amazing to me. So I started looking around and um, happened to come across a uh, Taxol X5, or I'm sorry, X-Ring. Um, sorry, I was thinking pistols for a second there. So I came across this Taxol X-Ring, and uh, you know it seemed like it would be a good fit. It was priced right, uh, as you guys know, if you've paid attention to any of the podcast. I am certainly not uh, someone who will ever be uh, the type of guy to look down and say, "Hey, man, you bought that used? You messed up." I am perfectly fine paying or buying something used uh, that's been well taken care of versus buying new. It doesn't bother me in the least. And so this one was priced right. It was a great deal. And I bought the rifle and really didn't know what to expect. And when it came in, man, I was not disappointed. Uh, it's a green fluted sleeved barrel action. Um, trigger's good. And uh, I was in a Hogue stock, which, you know, at the time I thought, man, I'll probably replace that. But who knows? Well, unfortunately, as we went through July and August, I never could get any information on this match. And so I thought, well, you know, I've got this really lightweight rifle and it shoots good. Um, I put a little, uh, little scope on it just to give it a shot. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to use this thing as a squirrel rifle. I'll get some use out of it. And that's exactly what I did. I put a um, a little three to nine loophole variable uh, on it, a little rimfire scope, 
and had a blast with the, the little rifle last fall. Uh, took it squirrel hunting. It was easy to carry, uh, shot really well, and uh, I had no complaints whatsoever on the rifle. Just, just a great rifle. So fast forward to uh, this year, you know, 2020, the year that had so much promise in the beginning, and then, um, you know, Mother Nature and COVID and everything else has kind of have thrown us, you know, curveball after curveball. And so I get to this point where I'm trying to figure out what can I do? The matches that I normally would be shooting right now, um, they're, they're not happening with any consistency. Um, the silhouette matches that I shoot have been canceled for COVID. Uh, they've been canceled because of weather. NRL 22 has been canceled because of weather. It's been canceled because of scheduling conflicts. Uh, you name it. I mean, it's just like every month I'm, I'm excited because I know that if all the matches happen, I'm going to shoot on a, the second Saturday, the third Saturday, and the fourth Saturday. Every single month I have matches already lined up. And yet there's been several months where I didn't shoot a match at all because none of them happened. Well, I was trying to think of different things to do and been shooting with a lot of, uh, some of my friends, uh, you know, going to the range. And I happened to find out a few weeks ago that uh, there was going to be uh, an, an, a steel challenge match at the range that I belong to. It turns out they really did start the match. It's just not publicized hardly at all. And a lot of that has to do with, uh, I guess at some point it was on the calendar when they first started it, but because it was being held on a Sunday, I had missed it. Totally my fault. And then the club had some issues with their website. So the website's down. So now there's no way to find out anything that's on the calendar unless you just happen to be on the email list, which I figured out that day I'm not. So anyway, about four o'clock on Saturday evening, I find out that there is a steel challenge match on Sunday at 11 a.m. So I went home and promptly took the three to nine off of my rifle and put a little bur or Bushnell uh, TRS 25 red dot on it. Now, something I skipped before is that I had taken the scope, the loophole three to nine off prior to this. And I had put this little Bushnell TRS 25 red dot. It's an inexpensive red dot, but I really liked them. And frankly, I've got a bunch of them. Uh, a lot of that has to do with, with uh, Bushnell running a promotion <laughs> where you could get a $15 rebate on the Red Dots. And it just so happened at the same time they did that, it happened to line up with a few places that had these things on sale for like, I believe if I remember correctly, it was like $60. Uh, and that was a shipped price of $60 per um, so I ended up when it was all said and done, um, uh, I, no, I apologize. I think it was more than that. Anyway, it seems like when it was all said and done, I ended up paying something like $15 each after the rebate for these things. So I've got a bunch of them and, uh, I had put this little bush nail on the tax hall with the intent of basically, you know, finding out if it really would be good for Steel Challenge in case they ever decide to do one here. 
and I, you know, had worked with it. I had it uh, sighted in, shooting really well, uh, I thought, for a little red dot at 25 yards. But I had also taken that Bushnell off in favor of putting the Lupo back on because, frankly, I didn't know if I would ever get a chance to shoot Steel Challenge. But I knew for a fact that when squirrel season rolled around, I would be out with that, that little tax log again. So I, I took the loophole off, put the bushnell on, and also um, did the same thing that I do every single time I shoot a match. I try to load up every single magazine that I have the night before. I do that so that, A, I'm not at the range loading magazines, and B, um, I, it's just one less thing to to spend time on in the match, something to, that, in my humble opinion, takes away from you know focusing on what I'm doing. And it just so happens, because I've been a fan of Rimfires and been a fan of the Ruger 1022 for so long, I've got a bunch of these magazines. I mean, well over 20 of them. So I loaded up magazines and I thought, hey, you know what? When I shoot other matches, I always try to shoot at least two guns and everything. So I'm going to um, see what else I can come up with. And I didn't have a rimfire rifle that's a semi-auto. I didn't have anything with irons on it except for like a Smith & Wesson 1522. And to be completely, <laughs> completely uh, uh, upfront with you, I didn't even think about taking the rifle um, because it just didn't sound like a good fit. So I thought, well, I can shoot rimfire uh, optics, rimfire rifle optics, because I, I knew a little bit about the classes. And I thought, hey, I've also got some handguns. So I loaded up a boatload of magazines for a Model 41 Smith & Wesson, um, loaded those up, and I uh, was going to shoot that, that handgun with irons. And then I also have a Ruger 2245 Lite that I have another one of those Bushnell TRS 25s on. I thought, man, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to be able to get there. I'm going to be able to shoot, um, you know, a rimfire rifle with an optic, a rimfire pistol with an optic, and a rimfire pistol with irons. So I was, I was stoked. I mean, could not sleep the night before. So pumped for it. And all I had to do the next morning was get up and uh, spend a little time with my family uh, also had a, uh, online, um, group from church that, um, we've, we normally would be meeting in person, but because of COVID we're having to do kind of a zoom thing there. But I thought this is a piece of cake. We're done with that by 10. I've got a 30 minute drive to the range and that's going to give me plenty of time to not only get set up, but see who's there, meet some folks and kind of get the lay of the land, so to speak. Well, the next morning, Things were going great, and then my community group ran way over to the point that I was flying to get to the range. And when I say flying, if anyone in law enforcement was listening, that is a figure of speech. I was not driving that fast. I was not speeding, but I did turn a 30-minute trip into about 25 minutes. And thankfully, uh, I turned it into 25 minutes, which meant that I got there with five minutes to spare, um, figured out that. As I got to the club, I didn't know where they were shooting the match, so I had to find the match. Um, they were ready to start when I walked up and asked if, if I could get in, and they said, sure, you know, we'll hold the match up for you. 
Well, the downside of it is the match, you have to walk about 100 yards up a hill to get to uh, this part of the range. And yet park at the bottom because there was about, well, actually, there, I can tell you there was 47 shooters. So I'd had to walk up the hill to make sure that was where the match was. And then they said, you know, where's your gear? And I was like, it's in my car. And they're like, okay, go get it. We'll wait on you. So then I'm basically running down the hill, get down to the uh, my vehicle. And when I had um, asked if I could shoot, they basically said, what are you going to shoot? And I said, well, I have, I've got a rimfire rifle with an optic. I've got a rimfire pistol with an optic or rimfire pistol irons. And the guy said, well, pick one. And I was like, well, okay, I guess I'll shoot the rimfire rifle optic. And that has really more to do with just the fact that I enjoy shooting rifles more than handguns. And, you know, I got 20 some magazines that are all loaded up with CCI mini mags, um, which frankly, I've never, ever had an issue with in any rifle, but especially in this rifle. So I ran down the hill, grabbed the rifle, grabbed my magazines and quickly figured out um, that because of this, this match is different than what I've shot uh, in any other rimfire match, I did not have things organized the way I should have. And, you know, I've shot matches before. I just, I didn't think this through. And this would be my first takeaway. Because we were going from, um, from you know, each uh, stage, you're carrying the rifle, you're carrying the uh, your ammo uh, whether it's loaded magazines or loose ammo or whatever you're, you're moving from area to area well thankfully uh, I had you know I brought the rifle uh, back up the hill I just had it in a soft case just a you know a cheap basic Ruger 1022 soft case and you know that was fine uh, because one of the first things of, of any um any match you ever shoot or anytime you're ever around guns is you should always be safe. And so, you know, one of the first things I learned was when you come to the line, you leave the rifle in the case until you get to the line. Uh, so that's a little bit different than the matches I normally shoot. So uh, my, my goal, once I got there was to kind of catch my breath, cool off a little bit. It was so stinking hot and humid. Um, my glasses were steaming up, uh, my shooting glasses, um, my shirt was just soaking wet from sweat. I mean, it was just so hot and humid. It was miserable. But I thought, hey, I'll catch my breath. I'm going to watch these guys shoot. All this, you know, it's going to be good. And my, my assumption was I'm the last guy to get joined in, so I would be the last shooter on each stage. It turns out that's not the case. I ended up being the second shooter. So I watched the first guy shoot, so I at least had a little bit of an idea. And frankly, I thought there was an order you had to shoot the plates in. But I had watched the order he shot the plates in, so that's the order I shot them in. Well, the very first thing that happened, uh, as I got up there, they explained everything to me, and you know, I thought, okay. I mean, really, my biggest my my biggest concern was, you know, obviously be safe, have fun, don't embarrass yourself. That was my biggest thing. So um, they explained everything to me. I'm like, okay, no problem, and. You know, and they called shooter ready. The timer goes off. And so I came up, bang, 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 bang. And I thought, okay, that wasn't too bad. You know, probably not that fast, but, you know, I've had no time to practice this. So it's all going to be good. 
Well, something I've learned from watching a lot of videos and, and reading a lot about this is, you know, everyone recommends, hey, look, you're, you're shooting five rounds um, on the targets. And that's if you, if you don't have any misses. Uh, so it's a great idea to, you know, you don't really have time to be sitting there topping off magazines. So drop the magazine you have in the rifle, put a fresh one in. So I did this and I felt like I was prepared. And to give you an idea on what I was carrying, um, I use a Plano case it's like a fishing lure type case that i i use for my 10 22 magazines and it will hold uh 20 i think it holds like 22 or 24 magazines something like that and then it also will hold another gosh i think you can put almost uh two four six i think you can put almost um maybe 400 rounds of 22 in the front something like that i mean it's it's big um, it's flat, you know, fairly flat, of course, but I mean, it's, it's a little bulky. Um, it's a whole lot there. It's very neat and organized, but it's not the most user-friendly thing when you're carrying it around as I figured out, you know, carrying it from stage to stage and all this. But, um, so I shoot the first, uh, the first run, it's good. Drop the magazine, go to put another one in and then suddenly I'm bobbling and this is just pure adrenaline. I'm, I'm sure that's it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to get the magazine in. Well, the next thing you know, uh, the timer goes off, bang, bang, click. And so I'm, now I'm fighting. Now I've got a jam with this rifle that I've never had a jam with before. Uh, and I've shot the thing fast before just, just to see how fast I could shoot it. So, you know, I won't bore you with step-by-step -step details, but suffice it to say at the end of the first, um, the first stage, I had... I'd had several bobbles and, um, you know, I was not as smooth and fast as I had hoped I would be, um, kind of frustrated, kind of down on myself. So the second stage, which turned out to be stage six, we start on stage five, but, um, just because they had so many shooters and so many different squads. So on the second stage, there was only three plates, uh, two plates and a stop plate. And I thought, okay, no problem. This is going to be good. You know, just take your time, go slow. Well, one of the things I had learned on the first stage is that while I really like that little TRS-25, and it, it does really well, I have no complaints about it for what it is. But something that I realized when I was shooting that uh, first stage was that in the bright sunlight, that little red dot was not as easy to find as I had thought it would be. And not only was it not as easy to find as I had thought it would be, but also, you know, it's a little 30 millimeter opening, I believe. So it's a smaller area. And um, thankfully, uh, I have, I did have a good cheek weld each time. And I had practiced enough at home trying to bring the rifle up and, and bring it into my eye. When I get to the second stage, I'm looking like I'm facing directly into the sun. And I mentioned before how hot and humid it is. So I'm still sweating like crazy. Only this time, um, there's no cover to stand under. And so my glasses are actually fogging up as I'm trying to shoot. So at one point, the rifle jammed again. And I can't tell you how frustrated I was at that because something I pride myself on is that, you know, my equipment runs. I've, I feel like I've invested, you know, a decent amount of money into really good equipment and it should perform. And... Really and truly, um, you know, I debated on cleaning the rifle the night before, but I chose not to do that because I thought, you know, 
and this this will this is a, I guess a learning point here. I was thinking in terms of like precision rifle, where you know it can take a good twenty to twenty five rounds, or sometimes even a lot more than that, to season a barrel. And so, I was thinking in terms of that, and you know, with still challenge, you're only shooting. 15, 20, maybe 25 yards. That's what I've learned. Um, so what I should have done the night before is I should have taken the action apart, should have pulled the trigger group, should have made sure everything was cleaned up, but I didn't do that. And so at one point, uh, the rifle jammed and I was so frustrated. So I dropped the magazine, went to put a new one in, and I had something happen that I haven't had happen in a long, long time. And I hope it never happens again. I had a negligent discharge. I had failed to put the rifle on safe. And even though it had jammed, I thought I had managed to chamber a new round. And so as I was putting the fresh magazine in thinking there was an issue there because I, um, I don't know if it was a misfire. Uh, I'm not sure what happened quite honestly, but I can tell you that I didn't put the, the rifle on safety. I dropped the magazine. I slammed the, the fresh magazine in. And when I did, my trigger, my finger, I don't think was actually in the trigger guard, but it tapped the trigger. And in either case, the rifle went off. Now it went off downrange. Um, you know, no one was in danger, but, you know, immediately I put the rifle on safe. I turned around and told the guys, I was like, hey, man, I'm out. You know, I, I, that's, that's on me. Uh, that's a hundred percent. That was negligent. It's dangerous. You know, I totally understand. I'm out of the match and kudos to those guys. They said, you know, look, man, nobody was hurt. You realize you made a mistake. And so you're okay. Don't let it happen again. We want you to go ahead and continue to shoot. And so they allowed me to go ahead and shoot. And, uh, you know, that, that to me was, was, um, it was incredibly generous of them to do. Um, by all rights, I, I should have been out of the match. And, uh, you know, they allowed me to continue on. And so, you know, as a teaching point there, you know, if something like that happens, most of the time, someone, if that happens, they know it. And so, by all means, be firm. Make sure that they understand how dangerous that, you know, what just happened was. But also show some grace. You know, just um, it made it made all the difference because, like I said, I I was absolutely ready to pack everything up, and uh, you know, I was probably still going to stick around and watch the match, but you know, absolutely uh, could have left, uh, you know, and and no one would have been at fault there as far but myself. So, anyway, after that. Um, I guess it was just, uh, maybe my nerves were over. I don't know what it was, but, um, I took a deep breath, told him, okay, let's go ahead and run. And, um, the next, um, the next three runs were, were some of my fastest of the day. And I think if I remember correctly, I believe I ended up with, believe it or not, I think I actually had the fastest run or the fastest combined time on that particular stage of the match. Uh, which, trust me, surprised me more than probably anyone who looked at that. So the rest of the match, 
uh, kind of, you know, was figuring out things a little bit here and there. Uh, thankfully, after those first two stages, I've never had any other rifle problems. Um, I did start loading up magazines as I was uh, emptying them. And, uh, man, I made a, a big-time uh, bonehead rookie mistake several times. Like, literally, I'm embarrassed to say three different times. Uh, I would get up to a stage and have a what I, I thought was a fresh magazine, a fully loaded magazine in the rifle. I would have a run, uh, you know, boom, 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 five clean shots. And then um, instead of topping off the magazine, a couple of times I actually thought, eh, you know what? I'm feeling pretty good. I'm not going to put a fresh magazine in. I got five rounds left in the magazine. Let's go. And uh, once when I did that, I pulled the trigger and it went click. Somehow I had actually put a magazine in the rifle that only had five rounds in it. And I guess it was one that was left from another stage that I had put back in there and just, you know, I guess just didn't think that I had emptied it. I, I'm not sure. But I ran the gun dry three different times. Um, and it wasn't because I was having several misses. Um, I think I only had, um, I might have had one string where I had two misses on uh, plates in the same run. But for the most part, if I did have a miss, I only had one. But uh, all in all, you know, I had a great time. It was so much fun. And, um, you know, overall, for uh, unclassified shooters, uh, came in fourth there, uh, came in 10th overall in time um, out of the 47 shooters, which I was really pleased with. Uh, I had no real expectations going into the match other than, like I said, just to, um, you know, be safe, have fun, and don't embarrass myself. Um, so I can tell you I am so pumped. I have that, that match on my calendar going forward. Uh, the goal from now on will be to, uh, to shoot a handgun and rifle. Uh, I noticed that, you know, there were several shooters who uh, were doing both. Uh, this match is one where uh, it's a combination. There's people shooting rimfire handguns and rifles, uh, but there's also a ton of uh, center fire shooters. Um, from what I could see, just looking around at different competitors, uh, lots of people were shooting the Ruger 2245s. Uh, that was a real popular handgun. Uh, I saw a lot of people shooting ARs, um, either Smith & Wesson M&P 1522s or actual ARs with a uh, 22 conversion of some sort. Um, and I mean, of course, like I said, there was tons of handguns, but nah, I'm, I'm just talking about uh, rimfires because <laughs> it's rimfire tactical, right? So... I tell you all that to say this, if you ever get the chance to go out and shoot a rimfire challenge uh, or a steel challenge type match, I can't, I can't say enough good things about it. It was so much fun. Uh, and for somebody like myself that loves to shoot, it was a blast, literally and figuratively. It was a blast. I think when I, I look back, um, if you, if you think of it this way, on each stage, with the exception of the one stage that only had uh, three targets, the other five stages, or five, uh, yeah, the other five uh, stages at each of the different uh, pistol bays, they all had 
five strings that you ran. So you're shooting a minimum of 25 rounds per stage. So right there, um, and that's, that's with no misses, of course, uh, 25 rounds per stage. And there was five of, of those stages. So that's 125 rounds. And then there was the one stage that I shot, which I'm sure it's probably, um, probably would normally be, um, five plates on that stage as well. But this particular pistol bay is very narrow. My guess is that's why there was three, but even there three times five, there's another 15 rounds. So 140 rounds just to get one hit on each target. So in the span of a, a few hours, uh, the match, like I said, started a little bit late because of me. Should have started around 11. Probably didn't start until about 5 or 10 after 11. But we were out of there uh, by 1.30. ton of shooting. So much fun. And again, like I said, I, I just can't tell you how much fun it, it seemed to be. Uh, now, the fun part is I've got a good friend of mine that has um, generously offered to set up a few stages to practice on. And so my next um, thing is going to be uh, checking out shooting the handguns and seeing how things run there, seeing if there is a, a significant difference for me shooting the 2245 with the red dot or um, or even if I were to take that off. But then also... Um, you know, shooting the Smith Wesson 41. Um, I don't think I'm going to put a, a dot on it. Uh, I, I love shooting the, that handgun as it is with the irons. Um, but a couple things I, I did take away from it. One of them is, you know, absolutely positively make sure that that gun is clean. You know, rimfire ammo is dirty. It's nasty. It's filthy. Uh, it, it can gum up in action pretty quickly. And so, um, you know, as soon as I was, I got home, uh, I made it a point to, to strip down the taxol and get it nice and clean and pristine. I've taken it out to the range since and uh, dumped a few magazines through it just to make sure everything was functioning as it should. But, uh, you know, first and foremost, there's nothing wrong with cleaning it up for something like that because you're shooting a generous size plate. Um, you're shooting a short range and, and really you're you're not scored on if it's the center of the plate or the edge of the plate. As long as there's an impact on the plate, that's all that matters. Now, a couple of other takeaways. Uh, I did see some shooters that were shooting some other types of ammunition. Uh, saw some folks that were shooting some uh, arm score, some bulk stuff. I think they said they bought like 10,000 rounds for maybe a two or three cents each. Um, and so they were shooting that and... Uh, that ammo, I don't have any experience with it, so I can't speak uh, anything firsthand about it. But what I can tell you is uh, they were having a lot of issues, uh, misfires, different things like that. Now, something else that I also noticed is they were keeping that ammo in a um, like a, a plastic Tupperware type tub. And uh, that ammo was in this plastic tub uh, with a lid on it. And, uh, you know, I mentioned before how hot it was. So uh, I could also see where the ammo might be having some issues just from some condensation getting in there because the, the sun beating down uh, on that plastic. I could also see some issues, you know, just in terms of um, being left out in the sun. Uh, one thing I kept trying to do each stage was to try to find 
shade so I could keep my loaded magazines and ammo and everything so I could keep it out of um, direct sunlight and everything like that. But, you know, those are a couple of things that were really important to me. And more than anything else, uh, you know, it was just a matter of, of trying to do my best. Um, it's trying to, uh, trying to, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm had someone asking me something here. Um, trying to, you know, keep everything clean, keep everything as it should be so that we wouldn't have any issues whatsoever. And going forward, you know, I figured out a backpack of some sort to carry everything from one stage to the next, or even just a range bag. It doesn't have to be anything elaborate, but just something to, to tote everything around. Um, now, Alex said, and I'm sorry, I got so distracted there, but one thing I am going to try, uh, I'm going to take a one of my 1522s, I've got a, a Smith and Wesson 1522 performance center model. I'm going to put a red dot on that one and uh, see if I'm any faster or slower shooting stages with it versus the Taxol. Um, just, just to find out. And something I, I purchased for that um, specifically, it'll probably be on the 1522, but it may end up on the Taxol, I'm not sure, was I actually end up buying a different red dot. I bought a Hola Sun. Uh, and I, I don't know the model number off the top of my head, but I bought a Holosun that has a 65 MOA circle with a 2 MOA dot. Something I learned uh, from talking to other shooters was that, you know, going with a really small dot, it's absolutely not the ideal scenario at all versus the more traditional um, larger dots and I've always thought in terms of on red dots, I want a one MOA or a two MOA dot because I'm looking for accuracy. What I learned from talking to those guys was that most of them shoot a seven or an eight MOA dot because you're looking for a big dot that's easy to spot because that will speed things up. So we'll see how this whole sun does. It may not be the right fit, but in my mind, that big 65 MOA uh, circle you know, my hope is that that's going to, um, you know, highlight the plate really well and maybe, you know, kind of put a, a circle right on the outside of, or inside of the plate. But that's it for this week's episode, you know, episode 49. If you have not subscribed to the podcast, I'd like to ask you to please head on over to wherever you downloaded the, the podcast from, whether it's Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere else. Hit that subscribe button. And then share that, um, share the, the podcast with other shooters, other friends, other people who would benefit from listening to this, whether it's for educational purposes or if it's to just simply make fun of, um, <laughs> of a non-professional podcast that has a lot of fun talking about rimfires. Okay, well, that's it for this week's episode. Let us know your thoughts on it. Let me know if you've got some tips and tricks, anything that would help me and still challenge, because as I said, I absolutely am open to any and all suggestions, not only on equipment, but on tactics or techniques or call it what you will, ways to approach a stage or anything else. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Cheers. <music>